So tonight, open with me to Psalm chapter 6. Psalm 6. Going to kind of look at this psalm this evening and, and meditate on and kind of think about it um, together as we, as we walk through it. Um, this is known as one of the seven uh, penitential psalms and, uh, or psalms of repentance. And uh, probably the best known of these types of psalms is Psalm 51, um, in which David's praying for forgiveness. Is the, the psalm says this when Nathan the prophet went to him um, after he had been with Bathsheba. And uh, it's the psalm in which uh, David says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Um, also, Psalm 32 is a uh, well-known penitential psalm, and uh, where David says, "Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered." And so we see these great examples throughout the the book of Psalms of of David uh, going before the Lord in, in humility and seeking forgiveness for his sins. And so tonight. Um, in Psalm 6, we're going to see very much the same kind of thing, although um, we're going to see his, you know, David's grief, um, his inner turmoil over his sin, but um, in some ways not as explicit as in other psalms, and we'll kind of talk about that as we, we go through it together. So uh, please follow along with me as I, I read. It says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I'm weary, weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame. In a moment. So this psalm is generally uh, considered to kind of be divided into two parts uh, or two sections. Uh, verses 1 through 7 where David is voicing his despair and his, his misery to God. And then verses 8 through 10 where David is, is renewed and he's confident in God's answer to his prayer. So as we, we walk through this, we look at verse 1, we see David cry to God, and he, he says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. And what's of great importance here is uh, those qualifying phrases at the end of there. It's in your anger and in your wrath. So David here, he's not praying um, for the, the complete removal of any rebuke or, or any kind of discipline. We know that, in fact, discipline of the Lord is a good thing. Um, 
and he, he disciplines those whom he loves. And uh, for example, we read in Psalm 94, it says, Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. Uh, Proverbs 3 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. And of course, Hebrews chapter 12 um, picks up that, that same um, subject as well, of God disciplining those he loves. So it's not the, the removal of any and all discipline that, that David's praying for here, but um, his prayers that God's rebuke and God's discipline would be done in loving kindness and not in anger or wrath. It, it's the same thing prophet Jeremiah prays in chapter 10 um, when he says, Correct me, O Lord, but in justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. So, so David's praying here for God's discipline to be corrective, for it to be sanctifying, not destructive, right? Not to destroy him. And he, David continues his plea before God here in verse 2. He says, be gracious to me. Um, other translations say, have mercy on me. And this is a big deal here because David's not asking here God to do something for him because he's earned it or because he has deserved it in some way. He's asking God to do something for him because of who God is. David's asking God to act here not, not based on David's character, or David's actions, but based on God's character and God's actions. That because God is gracious and merciful, he would spare David's life. And and David cries out. Here it says that he's languishing, or uh, other versions say, because I'm weak. Um, Another word that we could use here would be feeble. And so all those different ways to express uh, what's going on here. And, And so how is David... Languishing, how is he weak? Well, in verse 2, he says here that his bones are troubled or vexed. It's a Hebrew word here that also means terrified. Um, see it that way in Psalm 2. It says, Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. So David's here in, in Psalm 6 is saying that his bones are, are troubled, they're terrified. It seems that. David is here, he's expressing um, his, his fear here, the, the fact that he's scared that, uh, of the wrath of God because of his sin, because of his transgression before the Lord. And so that's why he prays the way he does in verses 1 and 2. Um, so it, David clear here is, um, he's clearly aware of his sin before God. He knows the the wrath of God against sin and ungodliness. And so he cries out for mercy and grace from the Lord. He prays here that God would heal him. And as you read different things about this psalm, there's discussion as to whether this is you know, referring to a literal healing of the body or, or this is a metaphorical thing of healing the soul through forgiveness. David continues on in verse 3. He says, not only are my my bones troubled, but my soul is greatly troubled. 
his very soul. One commentary says here that, um, that as, as David here recognizes his sin, that, that God's love is hidden from him. God's wrath seems as though it would wear him completely out. It is an affliction beyond all other afflictions. So this is a recognition here of the seriousness of sin. It's bearing the weight and the guilt of that sin. And then the, the very next line of the psalm is, is actually broken. It, it's an unfinished sentence. A lot of translations use a, a dash in this verse. It, but you, O Lord, there, there's a dash and then how long? Almost as if David's praying here and he, because of the, the grief of sin and, and his sorrow, um, he kind of loses words to say to God and, and there are really no words to convey the, the thoughts of his mind and, and the feelings of his heart. And so he, he just says, but you, O Lord, kind of trails off. And then how long? Charles Spurgeon wrote this of this verse. Those of us who have passed through conviction of sin knew what it was to count our minutes, hours, and our hours, years, while mercy delayed its coming. We watched for the dawn of grace as they that watched for the morning. Earnestly did our anxious spirits ask, O Lord, how long? So this idea of, of feeling that um, the, the weight, conviction of sin, that, that God is, is removed somehow, um, that, that David's dealing with here, and so he's, he's pouring this out in this psalm. And so, uh, you know, have you ever felt this way, where, where the conviction of sin weighs so heavy upon your heart that you're just you're waiting for this, this feeling, this sense of forgiveness, this restoration between yourself and God, you're just waiting for it to come. On the other hand, how often do we not feel or sense this? How often do we, we not see our sin as something this serious? And it doesn't even affect us this way. How often do we see, see our sin as something light and, and just inconsequential? And we just ca- casually ask for forgiveness and we kind of move on without this just heart-wrenching realization of, of what we've done that, that David displays here in this psalm. We continue on to verse 4. And here David, he asks of God, he says, turn and deliver me. So David's praying here that God's presence would turn or return again to him. He has this sense that, that God's presence has left him alone. Or that God has withdrawn his presence because of David's transgression against him. And, and so David asks that, that God would return, that he would deliver him, that he would save him in this verse. And I think what's so important to note in these verses is the reason and the motivation behind what David is asking of God. You'll notice in the verse it says, save me for the sake of your steadfast love. In other words, save and deliver me to put on display the reality of your 
covenant, steadfast love. To put on display your loving kindness to your people. Show and put on display your loving kindness to those whom you love and call your own. Right? It's this, it's this amazing, um, it's not a self-centered thing that, that he's praying here. Not, not Lord, save me because I'm miserable and I, and I hate my life. It's a very God-centered thing that he's praying. It's save me because it's an opportunity for you to show the world who you are and to put that on display. Going forward into verse 5, he says, In death there is no remembrance of you, and in Sheol who will give you praise. Now it's important here we remember and understand that during this point of, of salvation history, kind of this, in the Old Testament here, um, the, the specifics of what happens after death were not as clear, they're not as well defined um, as they are in, in the New Testament. So here, you know, David's not getting down here into any kind of theological details, but he's, he's contrasting what he sees in a living body versus a dead, lifeless body. And so in here he says that in death there's no remembrance of you. There, there's nothing going on. And, and the term translated remembrance here carries with it this idea of, of, of recollection or recounting the deeds of God. And we recount those and we remember those and we talk about those and proclaim those as an act of worship to him. So, for example, Isaiah 63, there we read, I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them, according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. And then, so David's point in the first line here, verse 5, is that, that dead people don't do that. Right? They, they don't remember and recount the, the wonderful deeds of God. And the second line is, is kind of the same. And in Sheol and in the place of the dead, who will give you praise? And so David here is basically saying, he's saying, Lord, preserve and restore my life that I may use it to praise your name. Again, it's this God-centered, God-focused motivation that, that's driving David to pray these things. Um, in verses 6 and 7 here, David is he's recounting it in very vivid imagery. And the, the language here we see that he uses this, this level of anguish that he feels. He's weary with his groaning. He floods his bed with, with tears and drenches his couch with weeping. Um, again, Spurgeon here wrote uh, this about these Verse, he said, Ah, brethren, it is no light matter to feel oneself a sinner, condemned at the bar of God. The language of this psalm is not strained and forced, but perfectly natural to one in so sad a plight. These first seven verses are, they're extremely heavy. This realization of the seriousness of sin, of the disobedience to the law of God. And about the this break in relationship that, that such sin brings. 
And for seven verses here, David cries out that God might forgive him and, and, and that he might be reconciled to God. Then we get down to verse 8 and all of a sudden we turn a corner. And, and David's speech and his tone take on a, a, a totally different, um, it takes on a totally different tone. So three times in verses 8 and 9, he talks about the confidence that he has in the Lord's forgiveness and the Lord's restoration. He writes, the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. So here, kind of in between verses 7 and 8, we see that the Lord had worked and he had brought about this forgiveness and restoration in David's mind and heart. And, And we see here this dramatic change. David finishes the psalm here in verse 10 by saying that his enemies shall be put to shame and turned back in a moment. And so as we look over this psalm and and we, uh, we read through it, talked about it, think about it, um, the hope is that we, like David, take seriously our sin. Like David, we'll go and cry to God that that we might be forgiven and restored. That we too would pray these things from a motivation of glorifying God for who He is. And so we too may know the the peace and the joy and the forgiveness and the restoration that it brings. James Montgomery Boyce, he uh, said it this way. He wrote, learn from David at this point. In times of victory, call upon God. Praise Him. In times of defeat, call upon God. Ask for help. In times of temptation, call upon God. Seek deliverance. In the dark night of the soul, call upon God. Request light. God is our pathway through the darkness. He is our one sure hope in life and in death. He is our hope even when we are unaware of his presence. Pastor Kerry, would you close in prayer?